0: privilege to introduce to you today uh, Rob Hoskins. He's bringing the message, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about him and why he's preaching today. Uh, Rob was just recently mentioned in Charisma Magazine as one of the leading mission strategists in the entire world, and uh, he runs a ministry called One Hope, and their mission is to give the Word of God to every child on the planet, to give every child an opportunity to hear the message of Jesus Christ, to, to read the Word of God in an age-appropriate uh, understanding of the Bible. And uh, next year, they'll pass the one billionth. Think about it, One billion children that have received the Word of God. And uh, I want to tell you this, that I'm so excited because he really is, he, he, he breathes and thinks strategy of reaching this world with the message of Jesus Christ, travels around the world and, and is making a huge impact. And I want to tell you, he's here at the right time, at the right place. Five years ago, we were planning to be together and something happened in our church that prevented us from getting together. And four years later, our paths crossed. And as we talked about changing the world and as he was sharing his heart and I was sharing my heart, I kept thinking, man, I wish we'd have met sooner. But I I had this revelation that God just laid on my heart that, you know, Joseph had a dream and it didn't come to pass in Genesis until years later. And he's, he's going into slavery and he's going into jail and he interprets a dream and he's thinking, I'm getting out, now's the opportunity. And it wasn't until the exact right time that Joseph gets into the presence of Pharaoh and saves God's people. It was the right time, the right place. And I just felt like God said, it's the right time, it's the right place, it's right now for you guys to strategize together. And uh, instead of being a lifelong friend or a friend for five years, he's a friend for one year, but I'm going to tell you this, River Valley, we are going to make up for lost time. We are going to make up for lost time, and I want you to open up your hearts to receive from Rob Hoskins as he brings the word today. That's awesome. Love you, man.
1: Thanks, Pastor Rob, and uh, it's great to be here finally at River Valley. have been waiting for five years to come here and... Uh, what a joy it was to, to meet Rob for, um, you know, the first time last year, and I'd heard about him for a long, long time, uh, because uh, River Valley um, is becoming famous, is becoming famous, your pastor and Becca, for, uh, for, for loving missions. How many of you know that's a good thing to be famous for? And uh, I don't know anything better to be famous for than that. And uh, so we met, and um, he, he took me golfing, actually, and Utterly destroyed me on the golf course, humiliated me, and that was uh, his gift to me. And um, then this morning, your pastor Justin took me out on the tennis court, cleaned my clock, pulled my calf muscle, bruised my. So your pastors have stolen my man card, they've humiliated me, bruised my. That's their gift to me so far. But um, amazing uh, time of fellowship with not just Pastor Rob, but Pastor Justin, and I just love the way everything around here is done with such unbelievable excellence, just an incredible testimony to the Lord, and uh, what a great church this is becoming, and I believe it's just the beginning of what God's going to do for River Valley to reach the world for Jesus, amen? And we get to partner with you, so uh, we're excited at One Hope to partner with you, it's a joy to have my wife with me and my daughter with me, that's always fun. And uh, just to to impart the word, how many of you love God's word? Turn with me if you would. I'll make it real easy for you tonight. The last chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 and beginning in verse 12. Revelation 22 beginning in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to you according to what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last and the beginning and the end. Blessed are they that wash their robes, that's those of us that stay holy, that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may go through the gates into the city. Now I want us to see what Jesus is showing us here. He's showing us a wall, a gated city, and inside the gates of that city are all of those of us who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. If you've accepted Jesus, you're not waiting for some future dispensation to enter the kingdom of God. If you've accepted Jesus, you are in the kingdom of God right now. But then listen to what it says. On the outside, picture that. On the outside of this great city, on the outside of the gates of the kingdom of God are the dogs and those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I want you to see that with me. On the outside of the gates of this kingdom, on the outside of the city of God, are all of those people who either have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior... But also on the outside of the gates of the kingdom are all of those people who have never once had an opportunity to know who Jesus is. They haven't tasted what you and I have tasted. They haven't experienced the, the peace, the joy, the satisfaction, the mercy, the grace that all of us have. They are on the outside of the gates of the kingdom and they are lost. But I love what it says in the next verse. It says, I Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? We are the church. What do we say? We say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let them come. And whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of the water of life. I grew up as a missionary's kid. I grew up in, in Beirut, Lebanon, where my parents were uh, ministering into the, into the Muslim world. And uh, my wife, Kim, grew up in, as a missionary's kid in Central and South America. And then we've been in missions literally our whole life, our whole marriage. And over these last 27 years, Kim and I have had the opportunity to minister in about 150 countries around the world. And in those countries that we've visited, and from the backgrounds that we come from, Kim and I find that everywhere we go, that children and young people are exactly the same. Now, at first, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, you go into a new country, and just about everything seems different. I mean, this thing called culture shock just kind of hits you full on. They're wearing different clothes. They have different customs. There's the language barrier to deal with. there's um, There's the food factor. I remember I was in, in uh, Madagascar, which is called The Land That Time Forgot. It's an island off the coast of Africa, and I, I was conducting a One Hope uh, campaign, and after the meeting, um, the, 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 one of the national pastors came to me, and he, he said, Brother Rob, he said, would you come to my house for dinner tonight? I said, yes, I'd love to, and so I made my way over to his house, and his wife had prepared this big meal, and I sat down, and I began to eat what was on my plate. And as I was eating this one particular dish, I was thinking in the back of my mind, this is the worst chicken I have ever had in my entire life. It was sort of tough. It was, it was, it was hard. It was kind of uh, sinewy. I mean, every bite I took, I sort of felt like I was biting through nerves to try and get it down. So I started analyzing a little bit closer what was on my plate. And as I did, there were certain limbs there that I didn't recognize. These were not parts that I had ever seen on a chicken before. So I said, Pastor, I said, is this a chicken or is this rabbit that we're eating tonight? He said, oh, no, my brother. He said, you'll be eating baked cat. <laughs> and I thought, I'd be losing it all over your dining room table right now. I mean, it, it, was bad. it wasn't that bad. It just tasted sort of frisky, you know I mean? the <laughs> My wife's totally disgusted with me right now. She loves cats, and I tell her, honey, I love cats too, but only when they're really, really well done, you know? so. <laughs> These guys are like, yeah, cat haters, you know? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads, though. You know what I'm talking about. You, you've been there. You go into a new country. Everything seems different. Your stomach's turning around. Your head, you're spinning, you know, you're wondering if you're even going to survive. But after you've been there for a little while and after you begin to build relationships with people... After you begin to minister to people like an altar like this, you, you realize that people are exactly as we are. They have the same needs, the same desires, the same hopes, the same expectations, for their lives, for the lives of their children that you and I have. And Kim and I find that it's especially true about children and young people. Everywhere we go in the world, they are exactly the same. And as our world grows smaller and smaller, which it's doing every day, because of transportation and education, communication, technology, our world is growing smaller. And as it does, there is a youth culture that is exploding around the world where young people everywhere are becoming more and more alike. I don't care where I go on the planet. I mean, you you can be in the bush of Africa. You can be in a jungle in Central America, clear on the other side of the world in Siberia. These kids, they're wearing the same clothes. They're listening to the same music. They're watching the same movies. They have the same heroes. And the youth culture that they most emulate, that they're hoping to become most like, is like guess which youth culture? America's. That's right. Ours is held up as the role model, as the example for the rest of the young people of our world tonight. Is that scary a little bit? Yeah. I hope it does. For us to realize that the youth of this world are following ours down a road in many cases of, of moral destruction and, and lostness, the likes of which is probably unprecedented. We brought up this generation to believe that they have to go out there and experience life. That's hedonism. They have to go out and try and find that, that one thing that is going to satisfy their, their, quote, individual needs. It's humanism. And we brought up a generation that has probably experienced and experimented more than any generation to come before them. And yet, in many ways, they are the most unsatisfied generation in the history of humanity. Because no matter what it is they've experienced, no matter what it is they experiment with, it's not enough. It's like a vacuum inside of them. It sucks everything up, but it still leaves them empty. Because there is only one single thing in this world that satisfies, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. His gospel is the only thing that will satisfy those hungry and thirsty hearts. That's what the scripture is saying here. And that's why as a a ministry several years ago, my my, my dad, we had uh, grown up in literature evangelism in the Middle East, giving God's word there, and then began to grow around the world, and we began to translate and produce Bibles in all these different languages And my dad was in a time of prayer and fasting and saying, Lord, what do we have next in this season? And during that time of prayer, he had this vision of Revelation chapter 22. He saw this great city, the kingdom of God, and all of us that that live inside. And then the Lord said, lift up your eyes, look over the walls. And dad said, as he looked over the walls of the kingdom, he he saw lost humanity stretched out before him. Nearly two billion people on our planet right now that have never once had a chance to ever accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then he said, Rob, as I was looking out over the wall, as I, was, as I saw the lostness of humanity, I saw something i had never seen before. He said, I saw children and young people. And he said, I saw prophetically how in the years to come that the enemy was fashioning his weapons of warfare against the next generation like never before. Have we seen that happen in our lifetime? He said, I began to see things that I never could have imagined would happen. He said, I began to see child soldiers. I began to see young girls and young boys that were taken into slavery and prostitution. He said, I began to see poverty grip the hearts of children and young people around the world. And he said, it broke my heart, and I just began to cry out to the Lord. I said, Lord, what am I seeing, and what do you want me to do about this? And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, the only thing that will overcome these lies is truth, and my word is truth. He said, I want you to take my word and I want you to give it to every single child in the world. And we as a family began to pray about that. Lord, how could we ever do that? How could we take, you know, sometimes does God speak to you about a vision that just seems so unbelievably huge? Isn't that what God wants to do amongst us? And we said, Lord, how could we ever do anything? You know, and, and as God began to speak to us, he said, well, I want you to take my word and give it to every child in the world and you'll do it through leaders. So as we began to pray, we sought through leaders, and, and at the time, we just published uh, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible in the Spanish language, and a lot of our work was going on in Latin America, so we decided to start there. So we took our, 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 our best leather-bound Spanish Bibles, and, and, and we decided to emboss the names of the top 50 leaders of every Latin American country presidents and vice presidents, heads of the military, heads of the education system, leading uh, business people in each one of those countries. And inside of those Bibles, we put a letter. We said, this Bible comes to you from friends in America. We're concerned about you. We're concerned about your nation. We believe this is the word of God. We believe it's the only hope for your country. And an amazing thing began to happen. Those world leaders began to respond. They began to write to us. And one day in the office, we got a letter from the minister of education from the country of El Salvador He wrote, he said, thank you for sending me this Bible. He said, I've begun to read it. He said, I now believe that it is the word of God. He said, I am responsible for the children of my nation. And our country has been through a horrible civil war, and it's the children that are suffering the most. He said, would it be possible for you to provide a Bible for every child in the public schools of our country? I don't know about you, but we got kind of excited about that. I mean, here we live. Yeah. Here we live in the States, and, you know, our kids can hardly take a Bible to their school anymore. Here was the minister of education asking if we would come and give the word to all the kids in all the schools. Well, my dad, he's a really excitable guy, and he, he took that letter, and he read it out to the office, and he was literally running through the office and shouting and jumping up and down, and he, he turned to his secretary, he said, send that man a, a, a fax and tell him we'll send the Bible to every child in the public schools of El Salvador, and he continued to dance around and thank God, and several minutes later, the secretary came back in, and she said, Brother Bob, how many kids are there in El Salvador? And my dad said, well, I have no idea. She said, well, I think you better find out. We just promised them all a Bible. We found out there were 986,000 kids in that country. Whew, shit. Yeah, except we weren't laughing because we didn't have the half million dollars we needed to send them all a Bible. But how many of you know when God puts a vision in your heart, And he sets before you an open door. He always makes a way for his people, doesn't he? He always makes a way. And we said, Lord, as you help us, we want to take your word and and we want to send it to these kids. We want to send these kids something. When they see it, they'll want it. And by the time they're done reading it, they'll know who you are and why you came and how to accept you in their hearts. And and so as we begin to pray, God told us to take the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to harmonize them, put them in chronological order, take out the chapter and verse so that it read straight through like a story, the most exciting story there's ever been. I mean, what's more exciting than the story of Jesus, you know? Sometimes we've heard it so much, we've, we've grown callous to it, but for someone who's never heard it before, it's the most exciting story that's ever been told. I mean, Jesus is God coming to earth, and, and his miracles, and, and, and his teachings, and his crucifixion, and his glorious resurrection, we put it all together, and we called it in Spanish El Libro de Vida, what became the Book of Hope. And it's an amazing story how God began to touch people's hearts, began to touch people's hearts in services like this so that we, they responded. And as they did, we printed our first one million copies of the Book of Hope. Now, this is just one copy, but I want you to imagine with me what one million of these look like. I mean, it would more than fill this building from top to bottom. It was, it was, it was nine 40-foot sea containers, those big ones that you see on the train, 256 tons of God's word. How many of you know there's a little bit of power in 256 tons of his word? <laughs> you know there is. And, and, and we put it on a ship in Guatemala and we sent it down to to, to Honduras to, to Guatemala and then from New Orleans to Guatemala and then there were nine tractor trailers waiting. They went overland into El Salvador and, and um, the church was waiting. My, my wife's uncle, John Bueno, who pastored a great church down there, he had mobilized the church. He'd spoken to all the churches in El Salvador and in a matter of six weeks, they began to grow out in the middle of the war into those war-torn areas with a letter from President Duarte giving them permission to go into every single public school in the nation of El Salvador. And as those churches began to go, an amazing thing began to happen. You know, God gives us a vision, and we just see such a small part of it, don't we? How many of you know his ways are are so much bigger than ours? His plans are so much greater than anything that you and I could even imagine or dream of when he plants something in our hearts? And as that church began to go out, and they began to go in the schools, as they showed up with those boxes of books, the principals and teachers began to ask them. They said, is this all you're going to do is just give the book to the kids? Can't you tell them what's inside the book? And our brothers and sisters in El Salvador had the chance not only to give God's word, but to stand up in every public school in that nation, proclaim the name of the Lord, give their testimonies, give altar calls to an entire generation of young people in the nation of El Salvador. Can you say praise the Lord? Yes. I mean... And I mean, it was, it was like a, a spiritual bomb went off in that country. Most of those kids in that poor country, this was the first book they actually owned that they could take home with them. What do you think happened when they brought it home? I mean, the grandparents began to read it to the little kids. The, the, the parents began to receive the word of God from, the, from their young people. They began to follow them back to the church. There was such a, a, a move of God among the next generation in El Salvador that continues today. In fact, six months after the distribution of the Book of Hope to every single child into every single home in the nation of El Salvador, a war that had lasted for more than 20 years that the United Nations and the United States could not stop. And six months stopped, and there has never been war since in the nation of El Salvador. You can call it coincidence or anything you want. I believe it's the power of God's word that transforms lives and transforms nations. Hallelujah. And after we saw what happened in El Salvador, we said, Lord, if this could happen in El Salvador, why not in Argentina? Why not in Colombia? And even Spanish, why not in French? Why not in Portuguese? Why not in Tamil? Why not in Hindi? Lord, why couldn't we do what you ask us to do? Why couldn't we take your word in the most simple form possible and give it to every single child and every single young person in the world? 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us the command. He said, you go into all the world. You preach, you proclaim this good news to every person, to every creature. And 2,000 years later, Jesus is still waiting, and there are still more than two billion on the outside of the kingdom, never once having had a chance to hear. I remember as a boy growing up in my my parents' missionary home, I remember a prayer that they would pray. They'd cry out to the Lord. My dad would pray. He'd say, Oh God, open the door. As we lived in the middle of the Middle East, wanting to reach those Muslims, Oh God, open the door. I want to tell you, the problem with our world being reached is not open doors. God is out in front of his church right now. We're in a harvest time, we're in the 11th hour. And after we saw what happened in El Salvador, suddenly these world leaders, they began to contact us. President Pinochet in Chile had heard about what happened, and he invited us to come down. And then President Danny Ortega in Nicaragua. You say, Pinochet in Chile, wasn't that guy a fascist dictator? And Ortega in Nicaragua, wasn't he a communist? You know, would you go meet with fascists and with communists? Hey, we'll meet with fascists, we'll meet with communists, we'd even go meet with the members of the Supreme Court of the United States if we thought it would help get the Bible back into our schools here in the States. Amen? And suddenly, yeah. And suddenly God God began to open doors in places we never dreamed. We found with 10 languages we could reach over 60% of the school children of the world. We found with 20 languages, we could reach nearly 90% of the school children of the world. You see, within our lifetime, there's been a reversal of the Tower of Babel. More and more people are speaking fewer and fewer languages. And we could take all day and talk about why that's happened. Economically, sociologically, politically, we'll make it real easy. It's happening for one reason. It's happening because King Jesus is working everything in this world's system so the message of his gospel can be proclaimed to an entire world within our lifetime and within our generation. And we said, "Lord, as you help us, we want to take your word and give it to these kids." And and we made a list of those ten languages. We made a list of those twenty languages. You know, Pastor Rob, we thought you know we were really strategic, and you know we did this research, and 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 we made a list of these languages. How many of you know we make our list, and God makes His list? Yeah you know, we put all of those easy languages up at the top of the list. Well, maybe these are countries where we can go. And all those impossible languages were down there at the bottom. Those Hindu and Buddhist and and, and Muslim countries. You know, there, there is nowhere on this planet that is closed to the sovereign move of God's Holy Spirit. He will go where he will, when he will. What does it say? Not even the gates of hell shall prevail against him. And suddenly we found ourselves going in places we never imagined we would go. I, I remember we got an invitation to go to what was then the Soviet Union. I went in, and miraculously, we got a permission I did to meet with a minister of education. And I was sitting down across from him, and I was sharing about the Book of Hope and what it was doing for kids in and, and other countries and, and the difference it was making in their lives. And he stopped me. He said, excuse me. He said, do you know where you are? He says, this is the Soviet Union. He said, for 70 years, we've taught our children our young people to believe in something that no longer exists. He said, we have the highest alcoholism rate in the world. The average Russian marriage will last three and a half years. The average Russian woman will have three abortions in her lifetime. He said, that's the moral condition of our country right now. But he said, something new is coming to our country. And it is called choice. And with choice will come everything from the West. All of your movies, all of your music, all of your drugs, all of your pornography. And he said, over the next several years, we are looking at the greatest moral catastrophe this world has ever seen. And the words of that man are becoming prophecy in the nation of Russia today. He said, if what you're telling me is true, if this book can bring some hope and some answers to our children and to our young people, he said, we welcome it into our nation. And Kim and I, we walked out of his office with our permission to give the book of hope to every single school child in the former Soviet Union. You see, there's nowhere that's closed him. The problem with our world being reached is not open doors. There are more open doors before us today than we can even go through. God's out in front of us, church. He's saying, come on, church, it's time, it's harvest time. And you say, Rob, what's the problem? The doors are open. Why are there still so many that are on the outside of the kingdom? Why are there still many who have never heard? Some might say, well, those that are on the outside of the kingdom, maybe, maybe they're lost because that's their desire Maybe even if we were able to reach them, they would reject him anyway. And that's why, that's why they don't know. That's why they've never heard. I'll never forget one of the first schools I went to in Russia. Like the communists always do, they like to show you their best face first. So they would taken us to one of their elite schools where they had their uh, leading teachers and their best students from around the country. They had the members of the press there to show this new openness. And we began to go classroom by classroom, and we were giving out the Book of Hope. And we came to one class, and the principal was with me. She said, Mr. Hoskins, in this class, I not only would like for you to give the book to the children, but she said, I would like for you to tell them the story of Jesus that's inside the book. And she said, you have five minutes. <laughs> I looked at those kids. They've been taught their entire life, Jesus doesn't exist. God's a lie. Christianity is a myth. This book is a fairy tale. And I thought, Lord Jesus, how in five minutes can I tell them your story? Aren't you glad it's not our job tonight? That you and I have no power to convince or convert or convict anybody, but it's the sovereign work of his Holy Spirit. And he can do more in five minutes than you and I can do in a lifetime. He can do more in five minutes than it took communist atheism 70 years to build. And I stood in front of those kids and I just began to tell the story of Jesus in the most simple way I could. And their teacher was translating for me. She was an English teacher. She was also a consummate leader, which means she'd been sent there to indoctrinate these kids in, in, in atheism. And at first she was translating so boldly what I was saying, but after several moments, her interpreting kept getting slower and slower. And, and so I turned to see what was wrong, thinking she's, she's angry. She's having to interpret these things she doesn't believe. And when I looked over at her, that 32-year-old teacher, she, she took her hand, she put it on my arm. She said, Sir, I, I can't continue. I need to know right now when school is over. What man do I need to speak with? What church do I need to go to so that I can accept Jesus in my heart? And tears were flowing down her cheeks. I said, you don't need to go to a church. You don't need to speak to a man. I said, if you want to right here, right now, you can accept Jesus in your life. And a smile broke across her face and she began to speak to her kids in Russian. They were talking back to her. She turned to me. She said, the children want to know, can they accept Jesus or are they too young? I said, no, if they want to accept Jesus, have them stand to their feet and 32 out of 32 12-year-olds stood to their feet in the center of Moscow and bowed their hearts and gave themselves to their Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because they're hungry on the outside of the gates of the kingdom. What does it say? Does it say that they, that they perish for a lack of hunger? That they perish for a lack of thirst, that, they per- that they're lost for a lack of desire. No, it says they perish for one reason they perish for a lack of knowledge. They are lost not because they don't have a desire to know, they are lost because they've never once been given a chance to know who Jesus is. And the problem with our world being reached is not hunger. There is an insatiable hunger in the hearts of children and young people around this world who are literally dying to know who their Savior, who their Heavenly Father is. The problem isn't hunger problem isn't open doors. You say, Rob, what's the problem? Someone might be sitting out there saying, well, maybe that's why River Valley's having this mission service today. Maybe, maybe it's because of the offering that Pastor Rob's going to make in a few moments. Maybe it's an economic problem. Maybe the church is at some economic you know, crossroads. If only we had enough resources, then, then we could finish this task. Then we could, then we could reach the world. I'll never forget. My dad was in in Brazil. He was meeting with President Collar de Mello. We were asking permission to distribute the Book of Hope in the slum suburbs of Sao Paulo. About a million kids in those slum suburbs. As my dad was sharing the vision, another man stood up and he said, "Sorry." He said, "I must tell you." He said, "I am not from Sao Paulo." He said, "I am the senator from Rio de Janeiro," and he said, "I must insist. If you bring this book to Sao Paulo, you must also bring it to Rio." And another man stood up. He said, I'm not from Rio or Sao Paulo. He said, I'm the governor from Belo Horizonte. And he said, if you bring this book to those cities, you you must also bring it to my region for all of the children in, in, in in all of our schools. And the president said, well, you know, they're right. We have freedom. We have equal access in this country. So he said, if you bring the Book of Hope to Brazil, you must bring it for all of the children in all of the schools. And my dad said, well, how many kids do you have in your schools? He'd learned to ask that question since El Salvador. <laughs> the president said, we have 32 million in our schools. My dad flew back to Florida where our offices are. Robbie said he went in his office, he just closed the door. He laid prostrate on the floor before the Lord. He just began to cry out to God. He just, what he say to the Lord? He said, he said, this thing has gotten way out of hand. <laughs> Don't you love it when things get out of hand? He said, "Lord, he said, you know, when it was a couple thousand copies here and a couple thousand copies there, he said I could handle it." And he said, "As soon as he said, I can handle it, God's spirit fell on him." The Lord said, "Who, who do you think you are?" He said, "You couldn't handle it when it was a couple thousand copies. Is that right?" He said, "This is my vision. This is my burden. This is my work." And he said, Bob Hoskins, I demand one thing of your life. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this. He said, I demand a pure heart and a pure motive. He said, if you can keep your life pure, I can keep using you. You know what Jesus is waiting for tonight? He's waiting for obedient vessels of honor and righteousness who will say, Lord, here I am, use me. I realize I'm nothing. I realize I have nothing, but Lord, if you'll use me, Jesus. And the Lord said, Who who do you think I am? You know, 30 million copies? It only cost us 33 cents to get the word into the hands of a a child anywhere in the world. So that's still $10 million, you know. The Lord said, You know, do do you think I'm staggered? by 10 million dollars or or maybe 20 or or 50 where exactly do you think my stagger point is i'm god i created it's all mine it's all mine i demand a pure heart and a pure motive the problem with our world being reached is not money tonight God has given us more resources. There is more money in the pews of America. We could reach this world 10, 20, 30 times over right now if we wanted to. We are the richest church in the history of mankind. The evangelical church in America holds 72% of the evangelical wealth of the world right now. Are we saying God hasn't given us enough to reach the world? I remember I got a, I got a letter from, from a lady. She was uh, an elderly lady up in, in, in Washington. Her name was Eddie Ogan. She wrote, and she said, Rob, she said, I, I think I figured it all out. She said, if you want to give the Book of Hope to every school child in the world, you need $400 million. And I thought in the next paragraph, she was going to say, you are nuts. That is crazy. There is no way that you can do it. You know what She said, She said, I want to build your faith. Here's my check for $400. Think about it. All you need is one million more people like me, and this whole job will be finished. Don't you love that? (laughs) That's faith. Our problem isn't money. Our problem isn't hunger. Our problem isn't open doors. Our problem is the same as it's been for 2,000 years. Our problem is obedience. It's all about a group of people like us, River Valley, that come before the Lord with pure heart and pure motives and say, Lord Jesus, whatever you ask us to do. And God is raising up an end-time church that is ready to lay it all down for Jesus. Pastor Rob heard the vision for what we were doing with One Hope, and he heard about our partnership with the church in Tanzania to reach every single school child in Tanzania, every single child, even those that are illiterate, with the film of every child in Tanzania over the next 10 years. And the church said, as we distribute God's word to 10 million children and young people in Tanzania, we're gonna plant 10,000 churches and lead 3 million people to Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's a church of faith that's heard God and said, we're willing to do anything to reach those on the outside of the kingdom in a country that has a majority Muslim population? When Pastor Rob heard that big vision, he said, we're on board. We wanna go in with that. We want to see God reach out into every single village, every single place in Tanzania. And you agreed to partner with us. And that church said, Lord, keep our heart and our motives pure. We'll do anything you ask us to do. And two weeks ago, one of the church planners that's partnering with you and partnering with us at One Hope went out into a Muslim village and he preached the good news of Jesus Christ where it had never been preached before. And Muslim fundamentalists came in and they chopped off his head two weeks ago. How many of you know how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news of Jesus Christ? And he sits as a hero in the kingdom of God. Those are the people that you and I can serve tonight. Jesus comes to us. I learned obedience in a way like I never had before. Several years ago, I was in the city of St. Petersburg in Russia. And we were there working with the church, and uh, we had a group of people like you people like you that we asked to go with us and you're going to be partnering with us to actually go and give God's word to children and young people through your teams around the world. And we had a team of people with us and we were in the schools, but there was a holiday. And so the schools were closed. So I went to George, the Russian pastor we were working with, by the way, we only work with the local church. God has no other way of reaching this world than through the church friends. And we were there and we were reaching kids with pastor George and I said, George, what are we going to do today? The schools are closed. He says, I've organized for you to go into the children's hospitals. We began to go into those children's hospitals, and what we saw there, it would disgust you tonight. So I'm wrapping these kids with dirty bandages. They were using syringes 20 and 25 times a piece. And all we could think about was our girls, our our little boys at home. Friends, but for the grace of God, that's you and me. And God was breaking our hearts, and we were able to pray with those kids and pray for healing and, and give them God's word and share Jesus' love with them. And we'd done about three of the hospitals and we got on the bus and we headed back to the hotel. No one was saying anything. People were just weeping on the bus. And George, the Russian pastor, turned to me. He said, Rob, he said, can we go to one more hospital? I said, George, I'd love to. I said, but it's so late. I said, This team is exhausted. I said, We've got one more day in the schools tomorrow and then we need to go home. And he'd always been very soft-spoken, very mild, and he took me by the hand, and he said, Rob, one more. One more hospital. And he said, George, if it's that important, we will. And we turned the bus around. We headed the other direction. He began to explain. He said, Rob, the place where we're going is the largest mental institution in Russia. And he said, they have a ward for children. He said, we don't even have permission to go into that place, but I just feel God speaking to me that we need to go there. We pulled up outside and he went in to speak to the director. We began to intercede on the bus. He came back out several moments later. He said, I've spoken to the director. He's gonna allow us to come in because the mayor has invited us to the city. But he said, we're not allowed to speak to any of the children and we just have to hand out the books as quickly as we can and then we need to leave. I said, that'd be fine. We got out of the bus and I walked up the steps and I went into the, through the doors of that institution and the moment I did, the moment I went in, I felt a spiritual oppression and a darkness come over me like I've never experienced in my life. And I grew up in the Muslim world, I know what darkness is, but it took my breath away, it was so powerful, so evil. The team felt it and then we began to hear these noises and then realize it was these kids and they were crying out and we, we went into the rooms Many of them were restrained so that they couldn't even hurt themselves. They were mentally deranged and they were crying out and just felt this oppression over them. We weren't even able to tell them Jesus loved them, but we began to take God's word and we began to set it on their bedstand tables. But in the name of Jesus, we began to do war for that place. We began to come against the 70 years of oppression that had controlled that place and pulled down the strongholds of the evil one. Friends, we have a real enemy and he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy He's at war against the children of this world. We began to come against him in the mighty name of Jesus. And we came out of one of the last rooms, and I was headed down the hallway to the last room, and I looked up, and my eyes met the eyes of the director of this institution, this communist psychiatrist. And he had this puzzled look on his face. He stopped me, and he said, he said, Mr. Hoskins, the room where you're going into is where our most serious cases are. He said, these kids have been here for a long time, and to tell you the truth, we've been able to do nothing with them. He said, I can't help but notice how much you people seem to love our children. He said, would it be possible for you to pray with the children that are in this room? And I said, sir, that's why we came here today. I walked in that room. I saw the 30 most depraved children I've ever seen in my life. They were between the ages of 13 and 19 years old. Their bodies were twisting and writhing around. They were crying out. I asked the people that were with me to form a circle around those kids and we began to lay hands on them and in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we began to come against everything that bound them and prayed that Jesus, their liberator, would come and set them free. And after 15 minutes of deep intercession, I felt something just rise up inside of me and I cried out, I said, Lord, bring your peace to this place. Oh God, you are the prince of peace. You come. And it was like a wind that came over our backs as his presence, as his peace began to fall on us in that room. And if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, let me vouch for you to, it is the realest thing there is in this world. And as his presence and his peace began to fill that room, everything began to change. I noticed the boy I'd been praying with, he began to grow still. And I noticed the noise level in that room began to come down and I opened up my eyes to see that out of these mentally deranged and mentally retarded kids that tears were just flowing down their cheeks as they felt the presence of their heavenly Father for the first time in their lives. Get a picture of Jesus tonight. What's Jesus doing right now? Sometimes we get a picture of Jesus and you know he's luxuriating on some throne in heaven. That's not how the Bible shows him. It shows him as a man of intercession. It says he's been doing one thing for 2,000 years. He has been ever interceding. It says, it says he's before the mercy seat of the Father, crying out to the Father. Fa-. It says he doesn't even know the hour of his return, but he's crying out to the Father. Father, wait, it says. It says he waits. Why does he wait? Because it says he's not willing that even one of these little ones should perish. That's right. And Jesus waits. That's right. He waits for you. He waits for me. And I looked across the room and I saw George, that Russian pastor. He was huddled over in the corner and he was praying for a boy. I found out later he was 13 and as he was praying, his body was like he was in convulsions. He was just weeping and sobbing uncontrollably. And in my mind, I thought, he looks, he looks strange. He looks, he looks bizarre. He looks overcome. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Rob, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about every one of my children who's never had a chance to know my name and i moved over to where george was and i laid my hands on his back and i felt his brokenness and after a long time of prayer he looked up and he said rob he said he said you you don't even know why i brought you here today but he said this boy is my son He said, for the first time in my life, I've been able to come into this place and pray with my son. And he was reunited with his son that day. And his son was set free by the power of Jesus. Because this is the good news that sets the captives free. This is the the bread. When you eat of it, you will never be hungry again. This is the drink. When you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. It's the glorious good news of Jesus. And they're waiting for it on the outside of the kingdom. They're waiting for it in Swaziland. They're waiting for it in Russia. They're waiting for it in Tanzania. They're waiting for it in Spain. They're waiting for it in your neighborhood. Young people, they're waiting for it in your school right now. They're waiting for you to go to the highest part of the kingdom and lift up your voice and say, is anyone thirsty? Come. Come. Jesus, you're here in this place. And this is not mere emotion tonight. This is, this is you. Deep is crying unto deep, and you're travailing over your people right now. And Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts and that their hearts cry here at River Valley would say, Lord Jesus, what do you want us to do? And I believe as some of you are praying that right now. Some of you might say, Rob, I don't even know if I'm in the kingdom. I might be outside the walls. I might be outside the city right now. Friend, I have good news for you. Jesus is waiting at the gates and his arms are open wide. And he says, come unto me and I'll give you rest tonight. Some of you are praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God's gonna speak to you right now. He's gonna speak to you about investing your life like never before. And he's saying you have the same responsibility as that Tanzanian church planter who's just been martyred for the sake of the kingdom. He might never ask you to do anything like that, but friend, let let me assure you, he has a plan for your life. And he's waiting for you to walk in your destiny and be all that God wants you to be tonight in Jesus' name.
0: Spirit and the bride say, Come. God's been doing his part for thousands of years, and it's up to us to do our part to say, Come. To use our voice, to use our bodies as living sacrifices, to use our finances, and to say, God, here, here, we say, Come. We put every part of us into this. We say, Come. We say, Come. powerful opportunity for us to partner together to help change this world with the life-giving message of jesus christ powerful word powerful word i think it all comes down to us just saying we want to love jesus more and we want to do what he says we want to love him more and just do what he says And that's all I pray. I pray that we would love Jesus more and do what he says. If he says, give it, we give it. If he says, go, we go. If he says, stay, we stay. We just do whatever he says. And I believe that's exactly what God wants us to do so that the whole world can know. And at Apple Valley and at all of our campuses, we're going to have an opportunity to get involved with this and be partners together with one hope to say, God, help us to reach this world.